My name is Benjamin Pace, and you're listening to the No Content Podcast. And if you happen to be a duck listening to this, you're in a safe space. Welcome to the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. I hope you are having a wonderful May. And uh, we are in the month of May now. I'm excited for May. It's not quite summer, not quite blazing hot just yet. But it's a really exciting time, not only spiritually, but naturally. I like the spring quite a bit. And uh, yeah, a lot of good things are going on this time of year if you've got eyes to see it and ears to hear it. But uh, in the beginning here, I just wanted to give a shout out. Um, Brother Charles Stanley, Dr. Charles Stanley, Brother Dr. Charles Stanley. um, I don't know if you're familiar with Charles Stanley or not, but he went home to be with the Lord recently. And uh, he was a well-known Southern Baptist minister that I grew up listening to. And some of my earliest memories uh, was listening to Charles Stanley preach. And he's one of those, you know, men of God that were just very consistent throughout their life. Um, and, and they, you know, a lot of people would look at that and say, well, they need to be doing this and they need to be doing that and they need to. But, you know, there's something to be said about people who were faithful and did not quit. So many people these days, they're like, they're like a puff of flame. Not, maybe not, that's not the best example. They're like, a, they're like a, a blaze for a few minutes and then they go out. But, you know, you want to look at the people who are kind of kind of just that steady flame. <laughs> and, 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 you know, sometimes people can, can be real on fire and real loud for a couple of years. And then you don't hear from them. And then they're gone. They're off the map. But you want to pay attention to these people who just kind of stick it out and who stay with it and, and are still preaching after 50 years and 60 years and, and still, you know, we want to pay attention to those people. The Bible talks about uh, those kind of people to follow their faith considering the end of their life. And, you know, it doesn't mean you always agreed with their doctrine in order to follow their faith. You understand? And, and I can tell you right now, I did not agree doctrinally with everything I ever heard Charles Stanley preach. But I'll tell you what, I can follow that man's faith. And I, I just want to give a shout out to him. If you don't know who he is, look him up. Look up his life. Because the man, the man served the Lord for his whole life. And he loved God. And I just want to honor honor his, his life here in the beginning of the podcast. I, there were seeds of the Word of God that were sown into my heart even as a child from listening to him. And there was something comforting and soothing and convicting about listening to his messages that they had something on them. There was an anointing on his life. And I want to give honor to that. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who, you know, would think very negatively about Southern Baptist, um, you know, churches and preachers and things like that because of revelation that they don't have about certain things. And, and of course, you know, if you don't know things, you're limited. But uh, one, one thing we have to realize is that you don't have to be, and I'm speaking this to kind of my camp of people that I grew up in spiritually, um, you don't have to be word of faith to be found faithful. I'm going to say that again. 
You don't have to be word of faith to be found faithful. (laughs) And in fact, there are some charismatic word of faith people that have not been faithful with everything God's told them to do. And there are some Baptist people who have been faithful with what God's entrusted them to do, even though they didn't have revelation about certain things. Well, let me ask you this. If they were faithful with what God entrusted to them, who's going to be promoted? Well, I'll just leave it right there. <laughs> and I'm talking to people that are that are grow up, grew up in the word of faith and things of that nature. We want to be careful about um, this this segregation in the church of denomination. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things about that that are not uh, not godly. You know, we're supposed to hold on to the revelation that we have, and we're not supposed to turn loose of what the Lord has revealed to us for anybody. But at the same time, um, the Bible said all the gifts are yours, and we're not supposed to say, I'm of this person or I'm of that person. Now, we, we want to stick with the people that God has joined us to in the sense of we don't want to be scattered all over the place, and we want to receive from the people that God has put over us and joined us to specifically, but we're never to despise these other parts of the body and these other gifts. We're not to say, oh, I have no need of you. I, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that. The hand should not say to the eye, I have no need of thee. No, uh, the whole body of Christ needs each other because the truth is we bring balance to each other. And we're not talking about some kind of new age unity in the world kind of thing. I'm talking about the church of God. I'm talking about the body of Christ. And anyway, I'm kind of going on a rant there, but I said all that to say I want to honor Dr. Charles Stanley and his life. He was a faithful man, and he, he didn't quit. He stuck it out. In a world where so many people are quitting and leaving, he did not quit. He did not give up, and I believe he fought the good fight of faith and finished his course, and I know he had a wonderful reception, and I am celebrating his life and his departure. And uh, anyway... Today, we are getting into a subject entitled, Water from the Rock. I want to talk about water from the rock. And I want to talk to you today about divine provision and things that open the door for divine provision and things that try to hinder us from the full access of divine provision. So let me start by reading Psalm 114, excuse me, it says in verse 7, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a fountain of waters. It says he turned the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a fountain of waters. What's, uh, what's interesting about this psalm is I, I had this phrase kind of on my heart a lot. I was actually listening to the song, A Honey in the Rock, and which is all about provision and trusting God. And th- this phrase kept coming up in my heart about water from the rock. And I just kept thinking about this, and it was coming to my heart and my mind. And I was uh, just getting into a new apartment. I just moved into a new apartment, and it was kind of a step of faith for me. It's the first time I've actually had my own apartment that I was just the only one, um, you know, paying for it and things of that nature. I've, in the past, I've had roommates and things like that. 
And uh, it was interesting. I don't always pay attention to like numbers. People can get weird and into bondage about some of these things. But I noticed that my apartment number was 114. And um, I I was interested. I was like, you know, I'm just curious if there's a 114 scripture somewhere. So I, I looked up Psalm 114 and I saw here in verse 7 where it said, He turned the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a fountain of waters. And I thought it was neat because that was the phrase that had been going on in my heart. And I knew it was in the scriptures. I just didn't know where. And the Lord began to minister to me about his divine provision, especially when we step out to follow him into the the thing that he's called us into, even if it's intimidating, even if it's a new thing. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how God can give us water out of the rock when we're following him, when we're obeying him. And uh, again, there are some things in that place, even if we're following him, that can try to hinder that and try to keep us from that divine provision. And we'll see what that is. Uh, let's look over at Psalm 105. We're actually going to read quite a bit of Psalm 105 here because it's talking about the Israelites and how he brought them out of the wilderness. And, and he starts out by saying this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Now, this is going to come up a lot in this podcast, but this is a major, major, major part of receiving from the Lord and his divine provision is thanksgiving. And we're going to see the contrast between thanksgiving and grumbling and complaining. Because we see that he's saying here, give thanks to the Lord. But he goes on to talk about how God provided for the Israelites. And pretty much all they did was grumble and complain. And this can keep people from seeing and perceiving what God is doing in their life. And the provision that he has already laid out for them. You know, he, he was leading them out of Egypt into the promised land. I heard a, a minister named Marty Blackwelder. Uh, he ministered at a, a conference that I was at recently, and he gave this example of how God sees us going along this path that he set us on, and he places provision on that path. It's like placing a, a blackberry on a path that an ant is walking on. Well, the ant doesn't see that provision yet, but God has already placed it right in front of them. All that ant has to do is keep walking down that, that path, that line, and eventually he'll encounter that blackberry. Well, that's how it is with God. He, he sees ahead and provides for us, even though we don't see it yet, even though we're not aware of it yet. When we're following his path, he's already got it planned out. But see, the problem is, is that like the Israelites, when we're walking through that wilderness thing, you know, it, it, we don't see it right away. We don't see how this is going to happen. We don't see how it's going to work. But God's like, well, I've already provided for you. We're like, well, I don't see it. Yeah, but it's on the path. You just got to keep following him along the path that he set for you. And what's one of the things that's going to keep you on that path? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And it's going to keep you encouraged to keep walking down that path to encounter that provision, that thanksgiving. So he starts with saying, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. Uh, that's a different verse, but he is good. He said, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Now that's important too. Talking about what he's done. Making known his deeds among the people. 
sing to him, sing psalms to him. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians that we are filled with the Spirit by singing and speaking and having uh, spiritual songs and melodies in our heart. You know, if you're discouraged or you're downcast or if you're tempted to complain, one of the best ways to counter that is to start to sing out of your spirit, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's one of the best ways to uh, come against that temptation to complain. It says, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who rejoice, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. Now skip down here to verse 11. It says, uh, he said to them, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When they were few in number, indeed very few and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another and one king to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked the kings for their sake. You know, if, if you've ever felt discouraged about going from one place to another, uh, feeling like you don't have any place to really put down roots or a place to call home, you know, that's what they were going through. They were going from one place to another, but something to understand is that God's purpose for them was to bring them into a place that they could call their own. And even though there was this season of, we're going from one thing to another, we're, we're, we're this house to this house to this house to this house to this house, God was bringing them into a place that they could call their own. And so the key to that, though, is not to grumble and complain in that season. Know that God wants to bring you into a place that you can call your own. And it says, he said, don't touch my anointed ones. Don't do my prophets any harm. Um, he talked about Joseph and how Joseph uh, was put in prison. And he talked about how until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So I want to point this out to you that Joseph got tested during this season of being in prison. So he's walking through this this place. He's walking down this path that God had for him, but it didn't always look like it was headed for success. It didn't always look like it was a good thing. It was challenging. He got falsely accused. He got tempted. I mean, he, he was a slave. He got put in prison. And the Bible says that God was testing him. Now, that doesn't mean that God inspired Potiphar's wife to try and have an affair with Joseph. You understand what I'm saying to you, but the word of the Lord tested him. Now, something else we're going to see in this podcast is that there's this contrast between God testing us and us testing God. I want you to pay attention to this. There's this contrast that's made between God testing us and us testing God. And it said, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free and made him the Lord of the house the ruler of all his possessions. And uh, he talks about how after that he brought Israel out of Egypt. And it says in verse 24, he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. 
And he goes on to talk about the plagues that had come on Egypt and the things that God did to get his people out of there. Um, and he goes through every one of the plagues. But look, look at this in verse 37. Like I said, we're just going to skip through some of these. It's a long chapter. He said, He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light in the night. And the people asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Watch this part in verse 41. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. Now, what do we see here? That God brought his people out of bondage. He brought Joseph out of bondage. He brought them out of Egypt, and he didn't bring them out empty. He brought them with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among their tribes. He got them out of oppression. He got them out of bondage and set them free. But now they're in a position where they have to rely on the Lord. Because something you'll see is that they had become very dependent upon Egypt. And so the Bible says that God gave them quail. He gave them bread from heaven and water out of the rock. What's significant about this? This was them learning how to depend on God for their provision. Do you see that? That's what this whole thing was about. God brought them out and he said, okay, I'm your source now. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be the one you're dependent on for your meat and your bread and your water. And I'm going to give you meat from the sky. I'm going to give you bread from heaven and I'm going to give you water out of the rock. Why? Because I'm the one doing it. What you've had your eyes on in the past, you're not going to have your eyes on anymore. I'm going to be the one that's going to bring it out for you. I'm going to be the one that's going to provide for you. And that's the point of this. That's the whole point of God bringing water from the rock. It's not about God just doing something spectacular. This is significant. We're going to see this here in just a little bit, and I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. But this has to do with correcting who we see as our source. He brought water from the rock for a reason. I'm tempted to go over there early. In fact, I may just go ahead and go over there real quick. Well, I'll go over there in a little bit, but I'll just say it, say it this way. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that that rock was Christ. You know, there's been a lot of things that people have been looking at for their provision and for their source and, and gotten their eyes on, but God wants to bring it back to the rock. The rock of the revelation of Jesus Christ, he is the one that we keep our eyes on in all circumstances. We don't get our eyes on this person or that person or this thing and that thing. Because you see in that passage, we'll read it here in a minute, but it ends with saying, flee from idolatry. And so God is trying to get them to get their eyes on him as their provider, as their source. That's why he brought water out of the rock. This is significant. But I, I want to mention this to you. We'll keep reading here. Uh, it says, He remembered his holy promise and his uh, servant Abraham. He brought out his people with joy and his chosen ones with gladness to give them the lands of the Gentiles. And they inherited the labor of the nations that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. 
praise the Lord. So they inherited the labor of the nations. We'll see this, that they were brought into houses they didn't build. They were brought into things that they didn't even work for. And yet God brought them into that place. And he, he had, it had already been prepared. They inherited it. You know, you don't deserve inheritance. You don't get inheritance because you deserve it. And inheritance is something that is given to you. And he said they inherited this. So we see that God had a plan for their provision. He had things already set up for them, already lined up for them ahead of time, pre-planned. It's on the path. All they had to do was keep walking down that path, and they were going to intersect those, what I heard one minister call them, divine surprises, divine provision. And so we see here that God always intended to bring them into this place. He always intended to, ha- to bring them into better things. What's he trying to do, though, in this wilderness season? He's testing them. We'll see this here in a little bit, but he was testing them. And he's trying to help them correct what they've got their eyes on, what they see as their source. Up to that point, they saw, they saw Pharaoh as their source. They saw Pharaoh as the one that they needed permission from to do anything. They saw Pharaoh as the one that provided their bread and their food and their water. And if they were going to get bread and water, it had to be because Pharaoh said they could have it. And so God is trying to correct the way they're seeing things. Hey, get your eyes on me. I sent my servant Moses, not so you could get your eyes on Moses, but so that he could point you to me. In fact, What's interesting about this is that we'll, we'll read an account of when Moses... Well, actually, let's go ahead and read this, and then I'll say that. Um, no, I'll say it now because I don't want to forget it. Um, we're going to read this account of when God told Moses to strike the rock, and water came out of it. We'll read that here in just a second. But you see, just a few chapters later, there, there was a time when God uh, told Moses, speak to the rock, and water's going to come out abundantly. But because Moses was in a bad mood, he struck the rock like he did the time previously. And what we see in that is God said, Moses, you disobeyed me and you didn't sanctify me in the eyes of the people. And we see in that passage that Moses had said, must we bring water for you out of this rock? What happened? He misrepresented who the people's source was. And this is one of the reasons why I believe God told them you can't go into the promised land because they've gotten their eyes on you too much. And I, I need them to know that I can bring them in the, into the promised land without you. You see what we're saying there? And, and, and you got to watch about this, how, how, you know, taking too much onto yourself or putting too much on another person. No, God wants people to know, hey, I'm your source. I'm the one that's going to bring you out and bring you into what I have for you. And so that's one of the reasons why I believe that Moses wasn't permitted to go into the promised land. It wasn't just God being mean to him. It was, I can't have them getting their eyes on you as the one who's going to bring them into the promised land. I need them to know that I'm going to do it. And so it's important to obey the Lord the way he says to do things. Moses reverted back to the thing that God had told him to do previously. And, you know, a lot of times God won't do things the same way 
over and over again for that very reason. Sometimes he, he'll use the same thing in multiple occasions, and especially if you have a job, yeah, he'll use that as a channel for a season. But in many cases, God will do things differently because he don't want you to get your eyes on that thing. And you want to be sensitive to that. But let me go ahead and read this, what I was referring to in, in Exodus 17. The first time this happened, uh, we see it says, All the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness. Now, now notice that they're on a journey. They're on a path. They're walking towards something. That example I gave in the beginning about the ant that's crawling towards that blackberry. There's something that's set on that path. God has already prepared it. He's already provided it. What did the Bible say? He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. But what did it start with? The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So when we're following our good shepherd, he's leading us into pasture. He's leading us into this place of provision, but we've got to follow him into it regardless of what it looks like right now. And you know, back to talking about uh, having our focus right and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is that rock. You know, that passage in John 10 where it talks about following your good shepherd, it says that he's the open door to pasture. He said, I am the door and the sheep go in and out and find pasture. Well, what's pasture? That's provision. But again, who's the door to provision? Jesus. We're bringing it back to who and what we're seeing as our source. In Romans 8, he said, God said, if, if I didn't spare my own son, how I, will I not with him also freely give you all things? But do you see how it always comes back to Jesus? He is the rock. He is the shepherd that leads us into the pasture. He is the rock out of which flows the streams of God's water. But it says they were on the journey and according to the commandment of the Lord, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, didn't God know that? Didn't God know that there was no water for the people to drink in that place? Well, why, why did God lead them through a place that there was no water? Will God ever lead you through a place where there's no water? Yeah, but that does not mean he expects you to go without water. He just wants to be the one to provide the water. That's why he's bringing you through the wilderness. Why? Testing us, testing us, and we'll see this in Scripture, testing us. And it said, uh, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Do you see how they're already starting to put too much on Moses? They're already starting to get their eyes on Moses too much by putting a demand on Moses, by pulling on him, by expecting him to be the one to provide the water. You know, being a leader is not the same thing as being the provider. I, I, people have, have gotten imbalanced with some of this by saying that the head of the home is the provider. There is a truth in the natural that the head of a home is supposed to put his family before himself and do everything he can do in the natural to provide for his home. That is true. But there is a limit to what a person can do. And when you come to the end of that, you've got to look to God as your source. And God is the source. The, the man is not the source. He's the leader. Moses was the leader, not the source. Do you understand? So you got to watch out about some of that imbalance. But they're looking at Moses. They're pulling on him. And they're expecting him to give them water in the wilderness 
where there's no water. Well, how do they think Moses is going to give them water? See, they saw him use that rod to do signs and wonders and miracles, and already they're getting their eyes too much on Moses, expecting him to, to do a miracle, basically. And you see that this stressed Moses out. And anytime people, anytime people put too much on a person, it's a burden to them. It's a weight to them. We see this with Jacob and Rachel. She said, give me children lest I die. And he said, am I God? <laughs> can, I, can I open or close the womb? You got to watch out about this. And Moses said, why are you contending with me? And watch this. Why do you tempt the Lord? See, we've talked about God testing us. Now we're talking about us tempting or testing God. He said, why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses. Now, this is one of the things that can try to keep us from walking in the fullness of God's provision for us. Murmuring and complaining. And I'll just mention this real quick. You know, I, I had a situation recently where somebody was playing some music over and over again that I found kind of irritating to me. And so I started to talk about it a little bit and talk about how much it was irritating me to have to listen to this music over and over again. And the Lord spoke up in my heart and said, Ben, you know how you're irritated by that music playing over and over again? He said, that's how I hear murmuring and complaining. <laughs> he said, that's how I hear murmuring and complaining. And what the Lord was doing was identifying with me and also correcting me in the same moment by basically telling me, stop complaining, <laughs> be thankful for what you have. And so they complained and they said, why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So they're ungrateful. They're not giving thanks. They're complaining. And uh, Moses came to God and he said, God, what am I supposed to do with these people? And God said, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and also take in your hand the rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders and of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the Israel, children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Ooh, see, this is something we're getting into here. There's a lot of stuff here. Okay, let's go back to this. Um, God told Moses to strike the rock, and then later he said, speak to the rock. Uh, you see the same thing with David. The Bible said that God told David to go against the Philistines. But the Bible said that David inquired of the Lord, and then he said, don't go up directly, come around beside the mulberry trees. You know, it's important to inquire of the Lord about every situation that arises. Because you don't want to assume that God's going to tell you to do things the same way he told you to do it last time. And we see that here. But it says that they tempted the Lord, they tested the Lord, and what was the test? What was the, the question on the test that they were giving to God? They were handing God this pop quiz and saying, God, answer this question. Are you with us 
or not. So this is not about them inquiring to find out whether God is with them or not. You need to find out whether or not God is in something. But they had already seen the miracles. They had already seen the signs and wonders. They had already seen all that God had done for them to bring them out of Egypt and things that were impossible. And yet they're still testing God and saying, prove that you're with us. As if God had not already proved that he was with them. See, you got to watch out about this. This happened in John chapter 6 after Jesus had miraculously provided food for 5,000 plus people. And then afterwards they came back and they said, well, if you're really the son of God, give us a sign. Give us bread. He just gave them a sign. (laughs) He just did what nobody else had ever done. And yet they're tempting him. They're testing him. Do you see that? They're trying to get him to do miracles on their terms. See, this is what Herod tried to do, and Jesus did not respond to it. They're trying to get him to, to do things on their terms, as they will. They're trying to, they're trying to, to get it on demand. You understand? Yeah, they're trying to get it on demand at their convenience. That's tempting the Lord. That's testing the Lord, saying, Lord, if you're really with us, prove that you're with us. This needs to be here by this time. If you're really with us, God, that means that, that somebody's going to knock on my door and hand me a check by this time. What's that doing? That's testing God. Because you either believe he's with you or you don't. You're either trusting him for provision or you don't. And that means you're submitted to him. And you're saying, God, you know what I have need of before I ask. You know what I need. You know when my rent's due. You know when the electric's due. Father, watch this. I thank you for providing for me. Father, I thank you that you know when my rent is due. Father, I thank you that you know that I need groceries. Father, I thank you that you know what I have need of before I ask. Lord, I thank you that you are my provider. Lord, I thank you that you are going to take good care of me. Do you see the difference? One is trying to test God. The other is passing the test that God gives you. Oh, come on. One is trying to test God. The other is passing the test that God has given to you. That's why he brought you through the wilderness to test you. Now, some, some people may not like that I'm saying that, but I'm going to give you even more scripture for it. I didn't say God was tempting you with evil or sickness or disease or anything like that, but he brought you through a place where you had to depend on him for your provision. Um, in Psalm 95, it makes reference to this event in Meribah. And it says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully, watch this, to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. In the beginning, I mentioned to you about Ephesians, talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. These are things that you do to pass the test. (laughs) When you're in that place where you're tempted to tempt the Lord, this is how you pass the test. He said, For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands form the dry land. He said, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This comes back to John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the door, and I'm the way that you find pasture. 
And I'm the, the good shepherd that leads you, leads you out and leads you in to the pasture, leads you out of whatever you came out of, the bondage, the oppression, and into the green pasture. We're the sheep of his pasture. But then he goes on to say this, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. That word trial means test. When your fathers tested me. So do you see here, he said, this was your day of trial, and yet you turned around and tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. Do you see this? They're in this day of trial. It's their time to take the test. It's their day to take this test, and yet they're testing God. They're saying, God, you, you take the test. And they had already seen his work. They had already seen the miracles. They had already seen that God was with them, that God was helping them, that God was for them. And yet they're expecting God to pass the test. That's not how you get provision. Are you listening? That's not how you get provision in the wilderness is by saying, God, prove yourself. Prove yourself to me. That's what Satan tempted Jesus to do in the wilderness. Satan literally tempted Christ in the wilderness by saying, prove that you're the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. Do you see how this testing of God is the literal nature of the devil? Who is it that inspires testing Christ? Who is it that inspires tempting Christ to prove himself? Oh, come on. Satan. This is why we don't, we don't want to be found doing this in the day of trial. What's the way to pass the test in the trial? Thanksgiving, praise, singing to the Lord, giving thanks, saying like David said in Psalm 13, Lord, I will sing to the Lord because you have dealt bountifully with me. You have dealt bountifully with me. Not you're going to, you have. I may not have intersected it yet. I may not have encountered it yet, but you have dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Uh, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 9. Uh, try to be somewhat mindful of time today, but not too mindful, you know. In Jeremiah chapter 9, I'll kind of go through some of this quickly. He said, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a foundation of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and like their bow they have bent their tongue for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Everyone take heed to his neighbor, and do not trust any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, says the Lord. But watch this. There's good news too. And everything I just described to you is a picture of the world, which is why we can't be partnered up with the world. He said they, they refuse to know me. What does that tell you? They don't know him. They're not of him. So everything he just described, that's a picture of what the world's like. And we can't be partnered up with the world. But watch this. 
He said, Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and do what? Try them. I'll test them. For how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I will take up a weeping and a wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a lamentation, because they are burned up so that no one can pass through, nor can men hear the voice of the cattle. He said, I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah desolate without a habitation. He says this, Who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. You know, you need to find out why things are happening. If something is continually happening over and over and over again, you need to inquire of the Lord and say, God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And he answered, he said, this is why it's happening, because they didn't obey me. But they walked according to their own dictates of their own heart and after other gods, which their fathers taught them. He says this in verse 23, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Now look at this in Nehemiah chapter 9. It says in verse 9, You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. Now we're going to see this come up a few times in this passage, but pride is something that will keep people from encountering God's provision. He said, So you made a name for yourself as it is this day, and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep, as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them just ordinances and true laws. He said, You made known to them your holy Sabbath and your commandments. He said, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. So he brought them out. He's bringing them on this path again, and he's given them bread from heaven and given them water from the rock. And then he told them to do something. See, Faith without works is dead. God's always going to tell you to do something. And he's going to say, okay, I'm, I've got you. I've provided for you. But now I need you to go in by faith and possess this thing. I need you to go in and do what I've told you to do. See, this has to do with us being tested. But watch this. It says, but they and their fathers acted proudly and hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. So they didn't go in. And possess what God wanted them to possess. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. 
They weren't thinking about, they weren't mindful of what God had already done for them. They hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. (laughs) They're going back to what they were in bondage to. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God. See, we're coming back to idolatry and the bondage that comes with idolatry. They brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light. And the way they should go. See that there is a way that they were supposed to go. There was a path. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. So God still sustained them. He still kept them. He still helped them in the midst of their rebellion. Uh, It says that he brought them in later, and they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Remember I was talking to you about how God has things previously prepared for us on the path? He said, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back. What is this? They're testing God. They're testing God and failing tests, even though God is being good to them and helping them and providing them. And and, and so we see here over and over again, God's having mercy on them. God is helping them. And they continue to test him. He says down in verse 31, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them or forsake them, for you are God, gracious, and merciful. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come up upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. You have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Now, we see here that Nehemiah is acting in repentance. He is leading the people in repentance. Here is something. If you know that you've done wrong, you need to be the one to repent. Don't accuse God. If you're in a tight spot, if you're in a rough situation, don't act like God's the one that's been doing something wrong. You're the one that needs to repent. Notice that he said, God, you're faithful. You are just in all that has befallen us. In other words, he's not testing God. He's not trying God. He's not asking God or telling God to prove himself. He's saying, God, listen, regardless of what's going on with us, you've been faithful. You've done justly but we're asking for your help. Do you see, this is why God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. This testing of God, this is how you pass the test of the wilderness. You humble yourself. You humble yourself, and that's how you get grace. That's how you get water from the rock. Humility. But you don't test God and say, God, you, I thought you were faithful. You said you were faithful. Where's the provision at? He's already provided for you. You just got to keep walking down the path. But see, you start testing God, 
and you start questioning God and saying, well, God, why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? Baby, you just need to keep walking (laughs) and saying, God, listen, you're just, you're faithful. And we're asking you for help. We're asking you for mercy and for grace. You're gracious. You're compassionate. You're merciful. And Lord, we're, we're, we're calling on that mercy in this situation. We're not acting like you owe anything to us. We're not entitled to it, but we're drawing on the reservoir of your mercy. See, it's because God is gracious and merciful that water came out of the rock and manna came down from heaven. And, you know, even in the, the passage where Moses struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to it, the Bible says water still came out of the rock for the people, even though Moses disobeyed. What does that tell you? Even when we mess up, even when we disobey, God is still merciful to us. He still helps us as much as he can. But we have to recognize this didn't happen because of how perfect I was. It's his mercy. It's his grace. And that place of humility is what enables us to access more of him. That's what James chapter 4 tells us, that God gives grace to the humble and he gives more grace. You want to access more grace? Seek more humility. And I'm not acting like I'm entitled to it. I'm not acting like God owes it to me. It's coming forth out of his mercy. The water is coming out of the rock because of the mercy of God, not because we did everything right. <laughs> Do you understand? And when you, when you, no matter what you're in, even if you've messed up, even if you feel like you've disobeyed or, or you missed God or you screwed everything up, if you'll humble yourself... God will still bring water out of the rock. Ooh, come on. Are you listening to me? If you'll humble yourself, God will bring water out of the rock for you. Because that's one of the ways you pass the test of the wilderness is humbling yourself. I'm almost done here. Psalm 107. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture. But look at this again. He says in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. So this is starting again with thanksgiving, giving thanks for what the Lord has done for you, for what he's brought you through. This is how you pass the test. And his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who the Lord has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way, and they found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. You'll see this over and over again in this chapter. He led them forth by the right way. Again, is there a right way? Yes. And that's where the provision is. That they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Again, is God wanting to bring you into a place that you can call your own? Yes, he is. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. What's God saying? I wish you'd just learn the secret of thanksgiving. I wish you'd stop complaining and learn what thanksgiving will do for you. I I, I wish you would just learn to give thanks. (laughs) He said, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. 
They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Now, that just showed a picture of what pride will do. It'll put you in this state of being resisted by God, but crying out to him in humility will cause God to pull you out of your distresses, your stress, (laughs) what is weighing you down. And pride is a burden. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Now, listen to this. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their, their soul aboard all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. You know, a lot of times people are in the midst of affliction and problems and trouble, and yet they're still being picky. <laughs> you know, you ever you ever offered to buy a homeless person a meal, and they said, well, I don't know, I don't know if I like that. Well, it's like, well, uh, you know, sometimes God's trying to give us stuff, and we need to be more thankful, all of us. We need to be more thankful, and then the Lord wants to do better for us. But a part of humility is being thankful for what you have. Anyway, that's just a side note. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down to the depths, their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end, but then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Do you see that this is leading to the same place? He guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. He turns rivers into wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. But then it goes right around and says he turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry to dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place, and sow fields and plant vineyards. What does that mean? This is a place that they can call their own. They're sowing seeds in this place, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. Now, did they have a part to play in that? Did they have to do some sowing and reaping in that place? Yes. But it says he blesses them and multiplies them greatly and does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. See, again, this is a picture of what it means to be resisted by God. There's no way. There's no clear path. Yet he sets the poor on high from affliction and makes their families like a flock. Like a flock. We are the sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. And he is leading us like sheep. But sheep go astray. But what does he do with the sheep that go astray? He, go, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one and brings it back to the flock. 
The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. So when you're seeing what God is doing, what is the righteous response? Rejoicing and zipping your lip if iniquity is trying to come out. (laughs) Stopping the mouth of iniquity. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. They'll understand that God is not doing this because he has to. He's doing it because he's merciful. I'm almost done. Let me just read a couple more verses to you. 1 Corinthians 10, I mentioned it to you earlier. Uh, It said, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, which tells us that going through the Red Sea was a type of baptism. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. What are we talking about when we talk about water from the rock? We're talking about Christ. We're talking about him. This is what it all comes back to. He said, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things become our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. And let me ask you a question. Uh, Is it okay for Christians to commit sexual immorality? No, (laughs) it's not. Um, he, he said, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. We see that murmuring, complaining, trying to get God to prove himself is tempting Christ. It's exactly what Satan did in the wilderness when he said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. We don't want to take on these characteristics with Christ. We don't want to tempt the rock to bring forth water. We want to give thanks. Father, we thank you for the rock that is Christ. And we thank you that because you did not withhold from us your son, how will you not with him also freely give us all things? Grace does not flow to us when we tempt God. When we we say, God, prove yourself to us. Are you really with us or not? That's not how you get grace. That's not how you get the water. That's not how you get provision. No, it comes through thanksgiving. And we got to get rid of complaining. We got to get rid of murmuring and complaining about what we have, where we're at. Even if it's not ideal, God's bringing us into a good place. But what's happening in that place, we are being tested. He goes on to talk about how God provides a way of escape in every trial and in every test. And The way of escape, that's passing the test. That's the thing. When there's a trial and when there's a test, there's a way of escape from it. But you got to pass that test. That is the way of escape. Let me just tell you, thanksgiving is a way of escape. Praise is a way of escape in that testing and in that trial and that wilderness. It's a way of escape. Um, I like the song that Sarah Pearson's wrote, Put on a garment of praise, glorify the Lord. Put on a garment of praise, everyone. And in the midnight hour, chains will break. It's the way of escape. 
I mean, I feel the anointing just saying the words. Put on a garment of praise, everyone. You want to pass the test in the wilderness. You don't want to tempt God. You don't want to test God by complaining. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture. You'll be okay. If you're still here, it means you still want to listen. So praise God. You hadn't clicked off by now. Uh, he talks about how he brought them through the wilderness. And he said, uh, I, I, I tested you in the wilderness to humble you and to know your heart. This is in verse 2. Whether you would keep my commandments or not. It said, so he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers knew, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. What's interesting about that is that's exactly what Jesus quoted to the devil when the devil tempted Christ and said, turn these stones into bread. Do you see that? The devil tempted Christ and said, prove yourself by turning these stones into bread. And he said, I tested you so that you would know that man doesn't live by bread alone. What is Jesus saying here? He is quoting this passage for a reason. He's saying, hey, I'm not going to allow you to test God through me. Instead, I'm going to pass the test. And I'm going to pass it by knowing that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. He said, your garments didn't wear out on you, your feet didn't swell, that you should know in your heart that as a, a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. Therefore, you'll keep the commandments of the Lord. Verse 7, he said, the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig brass. Now again, you've got a part to play in this. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses, I want to point that out to you, houses, and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water watch this who brought water for you out of the flinty rock and who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good to you in the end do you see this? Praise God. This is all coming together. And then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. What does he say? You will remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant with you as it is this day. What's he saying? I want you to know where your wealth is coming from, I want you to know who gives you the power to get wealth. I want you to know who your source is. Uh, there's a testing in this. And the way we pass the test 
is by humbling ourselves. Not tempting Christ, not testing God, but giving thanks in the wilderness. Giving thanks in that middle journey toward the place that God is bringing us into. The last verse I want to read to you is over here in Isaiah, and it's talking about Jesus. And this is interesting because of what we're talking about, not testing the Lord. In verse 10, it says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. So God just said, Ask me for a sign. See, if God asks you or tells you to ask for a sign, it's not tempting him to ask for a sign. (laughs) Because the Bible said he confirmed his word with signs following. That's the difference between what we're talking about in tempting God and God confirming things with his word. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. (laughs) So apparently Ahaz knows more about not testing God than God does. (laughs) Then he said, "Here, here now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? So he's actually testing God by saying he's not going to test God when God said, ask me for a sign. Do you see that? (laughs) Let me read you this last verse in Isaiah 48, verse 10. It says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how shall my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. Notice that he's doing this to correct who their source is. He said in Psalm 23, For my name's sake, I will lead you in the path of righteousness. He said, Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and hear, who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. Come near to me and hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit and leads you by the way you should go. Do you see, again, we're coming back to this way that you should go. Verse 20, he says, Go forth from Babylon, free from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing. Declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob, and they did not thirst When he led them through the deserts, he caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock, and the waters gushed out. What are we talking about in this? God, he tests us. He tests us in this wilderness season, but we don't ever have to fail the test. God is trying to bring us into this place of abundance into what he's already pre-planned and prepared for us that's on this path this way that we should go so what is going to guarantee that we're going to get there we don't test god we don't 
harden our heart and our neck against the word of the Lord and what he tells us to do. And when we do that, the Bible says that when we're following him, when we're following his path for us, even in the driest and barest of places, he'll bring us bread from heaven and water from the rock. And it's bringing us into this place of abundance and a place we can call our own. Amen. Glory to God. I hope this ministered to you today. I know I read a lot of scripture to you and went kind of long, but I believe it was worth it. And I got excited about it and I was ministered to by ministering it. So before I close out, let me just give you an opportunity. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I felt impressed to start doing these on these podcasts. I want to encourage you. Don't delay. Don't wait. Um, now is the acceptable time. (laughs) Now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Uh, I'm not going to lead you in a a, a generic prayer of how to do that. You reach out to God from your heart. You tell him you believe in him. You tell him you want him to be your Lord and Savior. You tell him that you believe that he died and rose again for you. And if you'll do that, I'm telling you, from your heart, you will be born again. Your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you will spend eternity with him. Don't put it off another day, and uh, you'll never regret that you did. He is the rock of our salvation, and he is just waiting for you to receive that so that those waters can flow to you, the living waters. Just like he told that woman at the well, he said, if you had known the gift of God, you would have asked for him, and he would have given you living water. I'm telling you, if you're thirsty, if you're dry, come to the rock, because that's where you're going to find the water. Praise God. Well, this has been the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. Thank you for listening today, and I will talk to you the next time you click play. Thanks again for listening to the No Content Podcast. Remember that Jesus loves you, he loves everyone else, and please don't forget to feed the ducks.